0: Amen. Well, the scripture reading today is from Ruth chapter 1. Um, just, just join us. I'm starting a new series of sermons on the book of Ruth. And we're entitling the series, Love in Hard Places. And today we're, we're right at the very beginning. And we're reading the first chapter of Ruth, Ruth chapter 1. So uh, this is the reading of God's word, Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife had two sons. The name of one man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephraimites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpa, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. And both Malon and Chilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And she kissed them, lifted up up their voices, they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters, why would you go with me? Have I yet sons in my wombs, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say... I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me for your sake and for the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God's Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. For you di- where you die, I, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do to you, to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. The two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? She said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full. The Lord brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Amen. That's a reading of God's word. Please join me in prayer. Father, we give you thanks for this word, which is your royal word, which teaches us who we are, why you created us. It teaches us about your will, your plan. And I pray God now as we lead, go into this sermon series, that you would open up our heart wide, that we would see the height, depth, breadth of your love in Christ Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Today uh, we're starting a new series of sermons on the book of Ruth, and we're calling it Love in Hard Places. And throughout the series, we're going to talk about uh, loving hard people, and we're going to be talking about love. In hard times, loving people in hard times. In the Bible, the greatest commandment is uh, the commandment to love. That's the greatest commandment. There, you know, there are a lot of uh, laws in the Old Testament. You take all of them, there are a myriad of laws, hundreds of different laws in the Old Testament. When you add to the New Testament, there are hundreds more. Uh, and it can be very confusing. That's why it's helpful that in Matthew 22, a young man rose up to Jesus it says, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Like, there's so many different laws. What should I focus on? What's the number one thing I should focus on with your law? And Jesus said to this man, well, that's easy. Uh, love God with everything you got. And also love your neighbors. That's it. The whole prophets, all the laws of Moses, that's what it's all about. All of them are about loving God and loving your neighbors. Uh, Love is the ultimate thing. The ultimate thing we are called to live a life of love. But love, as we're going to see throughout the book of Ruth, is also the most difficult thing to do. It's the most important thing. It's also one of the most difficult things. In the book of Ruth, we see the struggle for Ruth to love her bitter and broken mother-in-law. We're going to look at the struggle for Boaz to love a very poor immigrant woman named Ruth. And we're going to see that they're both on a path to love, of living a life of love. And we're going to talk about how we can become those people as well. It might be in a place right now where as you're getting older, you're called now to care for your parents. You know, as growing up as a child, your parents cared for you, but you reached a certain point in your life, and I'm there right now, where now I'm called to care for my parents to provide for them, uh, to look after them, to care for them. And that's a hard thing to do. You might be in a marriage right now where you were at one point in love with each other, but now your marriage has drifted, and now you feel like you're sleeping next to a stranger. It's difficult to love your spouse. You might be in a workplace which is tumultuous. You have coworkers who are gossiping, stabbing you in the back, It's a very uh, divided, bitter workplace, and it's difficult just to be civil with them, much less to love. Throughout the series, we're going to talk about loving in hard places, loving in difficult people, what it means to love. So as we start off this chapter, it's an overview of the whole series uh, with this theme of love. We're going to look at three things this morning. As we start out, number one, we're going to look at the struggle to love. Secondly, the essence of love. And finally, the source of it. We want to start off with this idea of the struggle to love. We're looking at the very beginning of the book of Ruth. And the very first verse of Ruth gives you uh, an idea of of the timeline of the book of Ruth, when it was written. In verse one, it, it narrates the idea that the story takes place in the days when the judges rules. It gives you a little time stamp to start off this book. The book of Ruth was written when the judges ruled. It's in between when the judges ruled and between the first crowning of the first king of Israel, who was Saul. The the, uh, time of the judges was a very dark period spiritually in the history of Israel. People basically did their own thing. They did whatever they felt like was right. Many people strayed away from God during this period. And one particular family that we read in verse 2 seemed also very far from God. Uh, In verse 2, we're introduced to a family. Elimelech was the husband, the father. He had a wife, Naomi. They had two sons. They had two sons, Malon and Chilion. They lived in Bethlehem, but as they lived there, a great famine hits them. A great famine hits them, and they decide, instead of waiting it out, they're going to travel to Moab. Moab is a key theme in the book of Ruth. What is Moab? Well, in the Old Testament, Moab uh, was considered cursed because of their origin. Uh, The origin of Moab was Lot sleeping with his daughter in in an incestuous relationship. Because they were outcasts, they started their own people, the Moabites. They were considered backwater people. Uh, They were also considered enemies of Israel because in a critical period, where Israel needed to cross through Moab, the Moabites wouldn't let them. They had to go all the way around Moab. And they resented that. Uh, they were considered cursed by God. They were enemies of the people of God. And finally, they worshiped their different gods, their own gods. They had their own gods, which were not the God, the God of the Bible or the God of Israel. And for all those reasons, uh, it was stunning that a faithful Israelite family would travel to Moab. Most of the times in the Bible, when people leave the promised land, it's considered an act of unbelief. Uh, They're not trusting God in the place. They're not trusting the promise of God to provide for them. And that's the sense we get this from this family as well. They're leaving in disbelief. They're not trusting in the promises of God. They're leaving to this place called Moab. When the family finally settles in Moab, Right when they get there, a tragedy strikes. Elimelech, the husband, dies. We're not given the reason for what happens, but he passes away. Uh, The two sons grow up. They marry two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. Ten years later, another, maybe even greater tragedy strikes. Both of those men die. Naomi, in a period of ten years, has lost her husband, She's also lost her two sons, and she's, she's become a very broken and bitter woman. In her devastation, uh, she decides that she's going to go back home. She's had enough of Moab. She lost her husband in Moab. She lost her two sons in Moab, and she's understandably very angry and bitter. You know, if I lost my wife and all my kids, I would be an angry person as well, probably. Very upset. In verse 11, uh, she decides she's going to go home. She could, by her right, bring her daughters-in-law with her back to where she is from Bethlehem. But she realized they don't have a future there. They there would be immigrants there. They would be, considered, uh, they would be considered cursed by God. Nobody seemingly would want to marry them, these women from Moab. So Naomi decides she's going to go it alone. She is a woman who in verse 13, she calls herself exceedingly bitter. She felt like God had cursed her. God was against her. God was angry at her. And when finally uh, Ruth gets to, uh, rather Naomi gets to Bethlehem, this is what she says in verse 20. This is a picture of how she feels at this moment. She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Naomi, she says, "Don't." Call, she, she gets all the way back home and she says, uh, don't call me Naomi. Naomi in the Hebrew meant pleasant. So Naomi said, stop calling me Naomi because my life is not pleasant. I am not a pleasant person anymore. I've changed my name to Mara. Mara in the Hebrew meant bitter. She says, I've gone from being a pleasant young woman to I'm, I'm really bitter now. I'm not the same person I was. Uh, Naomi, because of the tragedies in her life, has become very cynical. She's become very jaded. She's angry at God, and she's blaming everybody else. Many of you probably saw this, this week uh, on social media, the Face App Challenge. Have you guys seen that? Where you take a picture of yourself, and this Face App ages you by at least 20 years. It puts wrinkles on your face. It whitens your hair. I have no idea why people do this. I, I thought people were trying to get younger, but now people are trying to look like they're about to die. I have no idea. Social media stuff, I have no clue what is happening <laughs> for people like this. But uh, Naomi basically says, I've taken the Face App Challenge for real. You know, I left Bethlehem a young, pleasant, beautiful, hopeful woman. And I've come back to this place, and I'm broken down. I'm angry. I'm bitter. I'm jaded. God did this to me. I'm cursed by him. That's where Naomi is at in life. Throughout the series, we're talking about being a loving person. What is it that keeps people from being a loving person? Being pleasant, being kind, being generous. And one of the barriers to being a loving person is that we, we've gone through difficult things in our life. Many of us are angry and bitter and jaded because we've suffered in our life. You might have grown up in a household where you were never really loved. You were never appreciated. You might be in a difficult marriage where you don't feel the love in your marriage. You don't feel appreciated. And you're angry about that. And you're bitter about the place you are in life. And it's easy to become a cynical person. You know, I I was talking to an older man in his 60s and he was um, hearing his story. He had a son who, who when he was six years old, died in a tragic accident. Uh, He has a daughter uh, who's on the spectrum for autism. And he says to me, if there is a God, he's not good. If God does exist, he's not a good God. How could he do this to me? How can my life be filled with so much tragedy? And he's angry. He's resentful. And I totally get that. Sometimes suffering has a way of hardening people's heart. And we don't want to love again because we we don't want to get hurt again. We don't want to be disappointed with life anymore. And so we use that cynicism. We use that anger uh, to justify ourselves. If you're feeling that way, I have good news for you. In the book of Ruth, one of the things that we learn is that love is not something you either have or don't have, but love is a journey. In the Hebrew mindset, love was a path. It's not something that you either had or did not have. It was a journey. It was a road that you went on. And what we're going to see with Naomi is though she's bitter right now, but she's on this road. God has her on this journey to changing. That no one is beyond the escape and the promise of God's love. Uh, And suffering, suffering can do one of two things to you. Suffering can harden your heart, make you angry, bitter, resentful, or there's another thing that suffering can do in your life. It can open you up. It can humble you. It can bring about a tremendous change in your life. I've been reading this book by David Brooks. It's called The Two Mountains. And he says that people don't usually have moments in change, of change in good times. He says people don't usually change when there's just good things happening in their life. Uh, nobody says I was really a shallow and selfish jerk until I took that amazing vacation to Hawaii. That place, man, that, that that experience said nobody ever. Uh, usually when you have these amazing, beautiful, when life is going well, usually you don't change in those times. But when do you change? Often change happens when you go through the hardest times. You're, you're suffering, you're broken. Paul Tillich says that suffering has a way of breaking you open. You become to understand that you are not the person who you thought you were. You realize that, man, I am so needy of God's grace and God's love. And I need the power of God in my life. And suffering is often a vehicle for that. It can either harden your heart or it can break you open. And you can be on a new journey in your life. Naomi's on a, at a crossroads in her life. Man, her life's been very difficult. She can either choose to harden her heart or she can choose a new journey. Uh, She can be on a new path uh, to seeing and experiencing the love of God. So the second thing is this. We discover that, in fact, Naomi's on this other road. It's not a road of staying bitter, jaded, and angry. But God has a new path, a path of love, uh, a path toward righteousness. And we see that in a couple ways, uh, we see God is working in Naomi's life in a couple ways. First, Naomi wants to go back home. And we said that the move to Moab was probably an act of distrust. God wasn't going to provide in his promised place. So the act of going back to Bethlehem was the first act of faith, that, hey, this is God's place and God's promise. Uh, secondly, an act of, uh, we see God moving in Naomi's life in her sacrificial love for her daughters-in-law. We said that she had by right the ability as the mother-in-law to ask her daughters to accompany with her, uh, accompany, go with her to Bethlehem. But she doesn't do that. In verse eight, verse 8 to 9, this is what she says to them. She says to her daughters-in-law, go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. One thing to know about women in uh, this society was that it was a highly patriarchal society, which women had very few rights, uh, and they had very few support, and they were endangered, especially if they were not married. Naomi is... Especially vulnerable because she cannot remarry. She's too old to remarry. So as a woman, as an older woman without a husband, without sons to take care of her, she would be the most vulnerable class of people in all of Israel. She would be the most vulnerable person. Her only recourse, her only option to not be vulnerable is for her daughter-in-law to remarry and for her to be supported by that family. So, by releasing her daughters-in-law to get remarried, to go back to Moab, they're still young enough to do that, is a tremendous act of sacrifice. She's saying, I'm going back. I'm as good as dead, but I want you to live. Daughters-in-law, Orpah, Ruth, I want you to have a future. I want you to to live your best life. Don't worry about me. I'm as good as dead. I'm just going to go home. I'm going to be buried there. I release you. I bless you. You know, here, uh, a critical word is used by Naomi in verse 8. This is the key word in all of Ruth, maybe all the Bible. Verse 8, this is what she says. May the Lord deal kindly with you. That word kindly is the Hebrew word hesed. That's the most important word in this whole book. Hesed. Uh, is translated at various times. It's so deep and so profound that one word cannot do it justice. It is generally translated loving kindness. But I still think that doesn't do it justice. What is hesed? Hesed is the combination of loyalty and love. Hesed is loyal love. Hesed is a promise to love until the very end. Uh, Hesed is, as Paul Miller describes, love without an exit strategy. That's what hesed is. It's love without an exit strategy. It's unconditional love. It's one-way love. It's absolute, I'm with you to the bitter end, love. Love without an exit strategy. And what Naomi says is, uh, I'm going to love you in this faithful way. I'm going to release you. I'm going to bless you. Uh, with the love that God himself has, the sacrificial love. But what's amazing is that even as Naomi does it, she's actually one-upped by Ruth. Naomi's showing this selfless love, but Ruth is going to even show a deeper love for her mother-in-law. Orpah, when she, uh, Naomi insists that the daughters-in-law leave, Orpah actually kisses her mother-in-law goodbye. She does the logical thing, Arba is doing the sensible thing. She's doing the thing that m- the vast majority of people would probably do. She's going to go back to her homeland. She's going to get remarried. She's going to live her best life. But what does Ruth say? Ruth is not having that from Naomi. This is what she says in this brilliant and beautiful moving piece of poetry. This is what Ruth says in verse 16. Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you, for it Where you you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. Instead of leaving, Ruth doubles down. She says, "Uh." She says to Naomi, I will never leave you. She makes this stunning promise. Everywhere you go, I'm going to be right there with you. Where you sleep, I'm going to sleep. She says, nothing but death is going to part you from me. Uh, Ruth is exemplifying this hesed love, this loyal love, this faithful love for her mother-in-law. Ruth was under no obligation to give it, but she freely gives without limits. Ruth is in it to the very end. You know, we live in a time in, in our culture where people love to hedge. They don't love to be all in on something. It's like when people give an invitation over social media for an event, people love to answer maybe. You know, not, not yes, not no, but let me keep my options open on this. And if something better happens to come along, I'm going to do that instead. And we do that with relationships. Whether we're dating, uh, we want to keep our options open. Something, someone better might come along. We want to be open to that. We want to be consummate consumers. And this consumer mentality now interrupts everything. We have a consumer mindset. I want to get the best deal for myself. I want to be open to all options to make sure I don't miss out on anything. But this is not Hesed love. Hesed love is this faithful unconditional love that will never leave, that is absolutely committed. Uh, one of the ways that we want to describe Hesed love is this. At the center of love is death. I want you to think about that idea. The center of love. And it's so antithetical to a romanticized Western view of love. That love is this feeling that we have for each other. But has said love, in its absolute form, at the center of it is death. How is that, you say? Well, think about the life of Jesus. You know, nobody ever loved than, more than Jesus. And how did Jesus show his absolute has said faithful love for us? He died for us. A love in its absolute form is a love that gives of itself. Absolutely, unconditionally. Think about how a parent loves their. It City like, there's a lot of new, new parents. You have newborn children. Think about how a parent loves their newborn child. What kind of love is that? It's a sacrificial love. You sacrifice by sleep, you sacrifice a social life, you sacrifice financially, all for this little child. It's this beautiful, unconditional love. It's a Hesed love. Now, here's the problem with marriages. The problem with a lot of marriages is, is that you love your children unconditionally, but you don't love your spouse unconditionally. You love your children in the sacrificial, I'm never going to give up. I'm going to tolerate all kinds of abuse and hardship and constraints. But with my spouse, I'm not having that. You know, if they disappoint me, I'm upset. I'm thinking about my options at this point. And the essence of chesed love, whether it's in parenting or in marriage, is this unconditional, one-way, sacrificial love. And you know, that's really hard. The best marriages I've ever seen are uh, couples who not only, it's not so much that they're in love all the time, but they've learned to sacrifice for each other. They've suffered together. They are willing to care for each other in a deep and meaningful way. You know, that kind of love is, you might say that that is difficult. It is difficult. But I would say, what's the alternative? I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. Um, And this is what he says. He talks about that idea. And he says, in his book on love, there is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will be unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from the dangers of love is hell. Lewis says that we either love and become vulnerable, or we live selfishly and we're going to become cynical and ultimately irredeemable, locked up in the casket of our own selfishness. Loving someone is very difficult that way. That one way has said love. That's a difficult thing. But here's the final thing. What's the source of that? How do I get to be a kind of person who can love my parents, my spouse, my friends, my neighbors with that kind of love? Where do I get that source of strength from? This is the final point, the source of love. One of the questions that we would ask then is how did Ruth get that? Ruth, in this patriarchal society, I, wanna, I want you to see over and over again, the hero is not a man, it's a woman. Uh, Ruth is the hero of this story. Uh, she models more than anybody else hesed, unconditional, one way, absolute love. Where does she get that from? What's interesting, because in her poem, which she clearly has rehearsed, she's been thinking about this, She says this to her mother-in-law in verse 16. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Ruth not only pledges herself to Naomi, but ultimately she pledges herself to God. Notice what she says. She says, your God, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, that's going to be my God. We've said that in Moab, Moab had their own God. For sure, Ruth grew up worshiping the God of Moab, uh, a foreign God, not the God of the Bible. But as she marries an Israelite man, as she's in an Israelite household, almost for sure she's come to know this God of Israel, who he is. She's come to understand the heart of this God. One of the most famous ways that God describes himself in the Bible is in Exodus 34.6. And my uh, one idea is that she's heard this verse. She's heard from her husband. She's heard in this household this verse and about who this God is and who is God. So this is in Exodus 34.6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Uh, In the beginning, Ruth says, uh, Naomi says, I'm bitter, call me bitter, that's my name. The name described who she was. God says to Moses, and all the Israelites would have remembered this and know this. God said, this is who I am. This describes me, this is my name. He says, my name is I'm the Lord, but I'm full of mercy and grace. My heart bursts with love, with faithfulness. God in Jeremiah says, says, I am hesed, I am loving kindness. I am loyalty and love. And what Ruth says at this moment is she says, I follow this God. I follow this God of the Bible, this God of love. Some theologians believe this is a conversion moment for Ruth. It's been years in the making. And the ultimate reason Ruth is able to have Hesed is she has met this God of Hesed. She has met this God of love. Ultimately, the way that we become loving people and begin on this road to li- a life of love is to experience the love of God in Christ. You know, think about Jesus. We talked about Jesus and His love for us. What kind of people did Jesus love? He loved the outcast. He loved very impoverished woman. He loved the adulterer. He, he loved the pimps and the prostitutes. He had this overwhelming love for people. Think about Jesus' patience. Uh, after Jesus' arrest, uh, his, his 12 disciples all abandoned him in his hour of being falsely accused and charged. Imagine if you were falsely accused with a crime. They took you in. You were put on trial, and your closest friend... Instead of coming to court to defend you, told everyone he didn't know you at all. He had no idea who you were. Never hung out with you. Uh, imagine if you were released, you were found innocent, you were, you were released. Would you still be friends with that man? Would you forgive him after what he did? You know what Jesus did after that, uh, after his resurrection, is that he forgives Peter even though he denied him three times. Peter denied even knowing Jesus three separate times. And what did Jesus do? He forgives Peter. He makes him the leader of this new church that is emerging in the New Testament. That's, the, that's faithful love. That's love and loyalty. That's, that's a never-ending love. One of the last things that Jesus says in Matthew 28 is, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Your your, par- your friends and your family might leave you, but Jesus will never leave you. Jesus, we said that the, the center of love is death. And the center of Jesus' love is his death for you. He died. He sacrificed his life so that you would live. Jesus, like Ruth, has no obligation to love us, but he clings to us. There is a, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's Jesus. Jesus is a a person when everyone else walks out in your life, he's going to walk in. He's the only one left. He loves you with a faithful, never-ending love. In order to be a loving person, we need to die to ourselves. We need to to die in Jesus. And when we do, God will raise us up to becoming a new person. And he's going to take us on this journey, this journey of love. He's going to take us on a journey. And we see with the uh, life of Naomi that Naomi's on a journey. We said that she's bitter. She calls herself Mara. But hey, God has her on a journey. She's not going to stay that way. We're going to see that throughout. And we see hints of that in the final verse of chapter uh, chapter 1 in verse 22. This is what we read. It says, so Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, was with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Right when Ruth and Naomi get to town, what time is it? The time is, it's barley harvest. Barley harvest was a joyous time when food would be plentiful. People would be in great spirits. The drought is over. The food has arrived. They have arrived in Bethlehem at just the right moment. God has providentially orchestrated all of these events. God gives Naomi Ruth. Naomi is asking God, complaining to God. And God says to Naomi, Naomi, I'm going to give you Ruth. No one's going to love you like her. She's better than seven sons. Uh, Secondly, he providentially arranges that when they finally arrive in Bethlehem, there's a harvest happening. You see, uh, Naomi's life will start in bitterness It's going to end in joy. And God, this morning, you might be coming here this morning feeling bitter, jaded, and angry. Would you go on this journey, this journey, this path? As we close, in terms of the application, I would say, uh, who do you need to be Ruth to uh, this week in your life? There are a lot of people who are hurting, a lot of people who are angry and jaded. Can you be a Ruth to someone? Can you cling to someone? Might be your parents. Might be your spouse. Might be your coworker a friend in need. Would you be a kind of Ruth to them? Maybe you need a Ruth in your life, and maybe that what you can pray for about this morning. God, I'm angry and jaded, and I need someone like Ruth in my life. Would you send that person to me that can exemplify who you are? And finally, regardless of whether we have a Ruth or not, All of us have the opportunity to experience the greater roots in Jesus, a love that will never lead us. I want to end with this quote. It's from my old professor, Ian Dugan. He says this, The Lord's said will never let us go. In the midst of life's trials and tragedies, we may cry out to our loving God in confidence that nothing in all creation can ever separate us from the loyal love that, cho- that chose us before time began, is sanctifying us in the present and will faithfully bring us to our eternal home. Amen. Please join me in prayer. Father, we give you thanks. We thank you that you are God who orchestrates everything for good. I pray for people who might have experienced some really, who might be in the midst of some difficult moments I pray like Naomi, they would be able to pour out their heart to you, their frustration, their anger, their bitterness. But I pray that you would minister to them, soften their hearts, draw them closer to yourself, bring them a roof that could cling to them, help them to see that you, your plan and your love is never-ending. We open up our hearts to you. Help us to be also your hands and feet to other people who need love and can only see it uh, through the actions of other people. So I pray that we would be your messengers of your faithful, relentless love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. During this time, we have a time just of reflection. We have some prayers that you can pray. As we prepare for communion, please use this time to offer up your hearts to God and to prepare yourself for communion.